Welcome to another edition of Bucky's Fifth Podcast. Uh, Tyler Hunt here, of course, joined with Matt Bells, and we're going to dive right into some Kent State action and then the, at the end because, frankly, the game was uh, well in hand for most of the uh, most of the game. We're going to go into and do some mailbag questions. We've got some serious questions about the Badgers that you guys sent in, as well as some fun questions. So we're going to you know, mix it up a little bit, try not to be... Uh, so analytical, and we'll have some have some fun with it since this is probably the last week where we won't be diving into the nitty gritty of the Big Ten season. First, Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, just got done doing some beach volleyball, so glad that our season just ended. But it's getting pretty cold out there. Yeah. But um, you know, other than that, ready to rock. How are you awesome. doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm a little tired. I uh, we I had to leave for a meeting for my nine to five at three a.m. and I've we got back at six, but I uh, took a little nap, and now I'm ready to talk some football. So excited, and of course, five and zero with a uh, with a huge, huge game coming up this weekend always makes it exciting. Diving right into the the Kent State game, obviously the Badgers rolled, and you look at the you look at the stat lines. Familiar faces did most of the heavy lifting. Taylor was obviously dominating on offense as he has been all season, uh, and then you know guys like Orr and Bond have have dominated dominated on defense. Anything else in particular stand out to you uh, from Saturday's game? No, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's it's the guys who have really made a statement this year, kind of just continue to replicate that and really show out. You know, Jack Sanborn was another guy. He had another two sacks. You know, who's he's played really good this year. Uh, it was good to see Leo Chanel get out there. You know, I know he's got uh, he's been dealing with some a head injury, but you know he's got his first sack, got a fumble recovery. Um, so that was that was exciting to see kind of what he could do. So overall, you know, you can't you can't complain about uh, an offensive output like that and a great defensive effort. Yeah, I mean, it it really went you know as well as you can really expect. And like you said, the the big big faces and the big names that you expect to step up every week uh, really did that. And you know, you can't really expect anything more. I think the game was pretty much in handle right out of the get go. Uh, and like you said, Taylor was obviously the heavy lifter, and that's what you expect every week. But kind of going off of that, you know, obviously they ran the ball a ton, and, and part of it is because Jonathan Taylor broke a lot of big plays uh, and some big runs to score touchdowns. So the passing game really didn't get a lot of action. I, I was looking at the stats. I think only Cohen only had 15 pass attempts. I completed 13 of them, but not uh, not a ton of uh, attack through the air. What did you make of the like the run heavy attack, or, or or I guess going off that the play of Jack Cohen uh, in this game? You know, I thought it was getting back to basics, which is what the team needed to, in my eyes. You know, last week I thought that there was times when the Badgers tried to get too cute against Northwestern. You know, they they tried to uh, really try different things on second down last week that just didn't work. You know, I, I had talked a little bit last week about how they struggled in second down, but then you noticed in this game, you know, they, they had some nice play action passes on first down. I know they threw for 80 plus yards on first down, including those touchdowns uh, that Jack Cohn tossed. And, but then they were able to kind of grind it out on the run game with Jonathan Taylor, obviously getting 186, Nikia Watson with 60 plus. And then, you know, Brady Shipper looked good too when he was out there. So Mm -hmm. it was, it didn't matter who got the ball. They were able to, to really move the bodies. The offensive line was dominant. Uh, on the ground as well so um, what stood out to you 
Yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of the same thing, you know. People were asking Jack Cohen, well, he, we didn't throw it a lot, or are we have we lost confidence in Cohen? And I don't think that's at all the case. I think a you when you're going into this game, Kent State was 130 of 130 against the run. If you know an attack that is obviously going to win this game, you're you're going to take advantage of it. And obviously, Jonathan Taylor did that. And I, I don't think you can fault the coaches for saying, you know what, we can win this game, maybe save some of our stuff. Well, I know a lot of people wanted to get Jack some confidence. I think he's a pretty confident kid already. So maybe you maybe you just were able to beat Kent State with run left, run right, and, and, and win the game handily and not show Michigan State a lot of stuff that you're working on in the past game. So I, I know people were, were hoping to see you know, that, that pass-heavy attack to get Jack confidence. But at the same time, you can you can take that another way and say, okay, Going into this week, the Badgers maybe save some stuff that they don't have to worry about Michigan State seeing on film and knowing about as we go into this week. So, you know, he can only run the plays that are called. He was efficient. He completed all his pass or completed 13 to 15 passes. And, you know, you can all all you can really ask for is for him to take care of the football and, and complete the passes when he when he's throwing it. I mean, Russell Wilson used to do that all the time where he would. He would have two incompletions and the stats line wouldn't jump out to you, but they were incredibly efficient. So Wisconsin's offense isn't built where they have to, you know, throw it, throw it 30, 40 times a game and have, you know, huge passing yards uh, along with that. So it wasn't uh, anything. I don't think it was anything to make uh, too much out of, but uh, that's kind of where we're, we're at with the offense. But the other thing I wanted to talk about with the offense is Jonathan Taylor. Obviously, we know how great he is. But in the national landscape, I don't know how much recognition he's truly getting based on the stuff he's doing. I think people are used to it. Do you think JT is getting like you know the Heisman recognition that that he deserves so far this season? You know, I think that that's it's tough. You know, obviously we have uh, talked about that it is a predominantly quarterback award, but I I have seen him listed in the top five candidates. You know, on ESPN when it was game day. Uh, last weekend, I was at an establishment with some friends and uh, my wife and noticed that he was in the top five uh, listed in their talking points. So I think he is. But at the same time, you know, he, he hasn't had to play for the majority of a lot of the second halves because of the competition level and how well this team has done on the defensive end as well as the offensive end. I mean, he's got 753 yards already this year with the 12 touchdowns rushing. It's it's pretty impressive what he's doing, not only on the ground but through the air. And he hasn't had to do it all the time, whereas a lot of the quarterbacks that he's going up against, you know, Jalen Hurts, he's not coming out. He's in there the whole game, similar to how Jack Cohn is, where he's in it at the end of games, even when it's kind of mop up duty at some points. But, you know, the quarterbacks are out there and they're still uh, running their offense uh, late into games, whereas, you know, that's just not Paul Chris style sometimes. And they're able to kind of just pull away with their backups and lean on that offensive line. Yeah, I mean, imagine if Jonathan Taylor had a full 20 quarters under him, you know, where he would be at him. You look at his stats right now and he's. Like you said, he hasn't played a lot of the second half. So if he had a full 20 quarters, you know, his numbers would be just as just as video game ash as, you know, the the Hurts and the guys, Joe Burrows and guys like that who are putting up these huge numbers because they're in there late into the third quarter and, and into the fourth. And so I, I don't know if he's quite getting the recognition kind of because it is that running back award or excuse me, the quarterback award. But I, I think he's up there. Um, you know, it, with some good company too, and a lot of these guys haven't been really tested in this Heisman race yet. I mean, so you know, obviously Joe Burrow had a tough game with Texas, and a few guys have played 
you know, one one really tough opponent, but no one's no one's faced a huge huge test yet. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. And you know, I I would have to imagine as of right now he'd be getting an invite to New York, but there's still a still a long way uh, to go in this season. But uh, uh, one one thing I would say that if if he's able to go out and hypothetically he's able to make a huge statement and drop a gaudy amount of yards and touchdowns and lead the Badgers to a win over say Ohio State. I think that vaults him really uh, up there in the clouds with the other guys. I think, I think that's what a lot of times drives these awards is those statement games, uh, and he would have an opportunity in that game if the Badgers can can continue uh, their momentum they have going and win this weekend. Yeah, I mean when you think about when you think about the Heisman Trophy in general, you, you always talk about that Heisman moment, like you said, or so where a, a game like that, where all of a sudden the, the, the stars step up, you know, on a national game or a national landscape to, to win you a football game. And that kind of catapults you to that next level. So that'll be interesting to see as, as they go down the stretch and as they get closer to that Ohio state game, not, not too far away now that uh, the Badgers keep rolling into, and now into uh, full big 10 play. Speaking of that, you know, the Badgers outscored their non-conference opponents, 158 to zero. I mean, I, I can't think of a better stretch of non-conference games for the Wisconsin. But just how just how much can you take from that, and and how oppressive of a stretch is that? Because I don't care who the opponent is, 158 to zero is 158 to zero. Yeah, and that's kind of where I I'm at with it. I think no matter who you're playing, to have those type of numbers is impressive, uh, especially when you look at it. And you also had Michigan, who they scored 35 points on. You know, Northwestern, it wasn't pretty with the only putting up 24 points when they obviously had chances where they could have scored a lot more. Um, but at the same time, you know, 48 against Kent State, Central Michigan was 60-plus, and then South Florida was 49 nothing. It's You paired that the defense of, of just – basically only putting up giving up 29 points this year with the ability to put up a 158 in those games it's it's impressive no matter who you're playing against yeah and it's not like you know these opponents were obviously they're low two of them were lower tier max team but south florida was supposed to be at least somewhat comprehensible on the football field and obviously they have not showed that yet I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's three FCS teams. Holding teams to zero is incredibly tough, especially in this day and age with with the penalties you can get and you know, how much yardage you get on some of those plays or a couple junk plays. And you're almost always in a scoring position for at least a field goal. So, like you said, I, I can't uh, you know I can't fault and you can't really knock anybody who's who's winning by that margin. I don't care who you are or who you're playing. But part of that has kind of been because of the defense. Obviously, three shutouts so far uh, this season. And a lot of it's been that that combo of of Zach Bond and Chris Orr. They've been they've been the dominating faces. Obviously, coming into the season, we expected them to be those guys. But did you expect them to be as dominant as they've been so far this season? Uh, I I didn't know uh, going in watching them in fall camp. You know, you could tell that there was a definite uh, buzz about the defense. They were playing really good and they were playing with a lot of energy. Those two guys looked really well. But Zach Bond also would missed a good chunk of time because of injuries, uh, you know, over his career, but also in fall camp. And then to see kind of what they have done in resurgent mode coming in and making huge plays. They're second and third in the team in tackles. They've got 10 tax, uh, sacks between the two of them and three forced fumbles. I mean, they're causing chaos in the backfield. And, 
you you kind of hoped that Zach Bond would turn into that guy. I know the staff was really high on him, but I I wasn't a person who thought that Chris Orr was going to be the guy who was going to be in the backfield like that. You know, he's he's got a good bend and he's quick. I think that that lost weight that he uh, had in the offseason had really helped him. But man, oh man, they have sure been impressive. And I think a big reason for it is the the um, reemergence of the defensive line. You know, those guys have really done a good job of giving them space to to make those plays that just weren't there last year because they they were going with guys who sh- who just weren't ready to be out there other than louder milk at times when he was actually healthy. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, you know, the, the, each unit of the defense obviously works off one another, and I think improvement up there and in the secondary, at, you know, improvement on there, it, it's kind of a chain effect. Improvement at the line is going to improve the linebackers, and the linebackers playing better is going to improve uh, the secondary. So I, overall, that the whole unit has, has played better, but those two guys especially have been just, just dominating. I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. Um, I think anyone who follows Wisconsin closely knew what Zach Bond could be. He was just more of a wait and see because you haven't really gotten the opportunity to see him as the every down star defensive player. You've seen him, you know, rotate in and rolls or be banged up. So he couldn't go, you know, full bore in, in, you know, for a full stretch of the season. But now you're seeing just, you know, just how much havoc this guy can cause as an edge rusher. And then you've got Chris Orr who, while he's still on the inside is still getting after the quarterbacks, making plays in the backfield on the running backs. And, you know, I kind of agree. I, I didn't really know if Chris Orr was was going to be that guy because we haven't really seen a lot from him. Obviously, last year when he expected to play a bigger role, he, he didn't. And I think that maybe just speaks to the depth that Wisconsin had a linebacker last year with, with guys like Conley uh, and Edwards and uh, Van Ginkle that way. But so far, those guys have been have been you know incredibly dominating and they're going to need to keep doing that. Obviously, as teams you know get used to get used to Orr and Bond uh, being in their backfield, they're going to start keying on those guys. But that that hopefully opens up you know holes for holes for Sanborn and the other guys and Noah Burks on the other side to to make plays in their own right, and they've done that too. So uh, it's been impressive, no matter how you shake it in this start of the season. One question I noticed uh, from some people with the mailbag: one person had asked about the the NFL draft with Orr. Um, what do you think about those two guys specifically, Bond and Orr, uh, having a chance at the next level? You know, that, that's kind of an interesting question. I think Bond, when you look at him physically, you can see how he would he would translate, and maybe it take a little bit for him to get uh, you know used to an NFL system, but you can definitely see that on Sundays. Obviously, you haven't seen a ton of him uh, over his career to really know where he translate. And the Orr one, I you know coming into this season, I would have never th- really thought so, but. You you kind of have seen a reemergence and a kind of a different Chris Orr to where it's certainly a possibility, even as maybe he's not a starting star linebacker in, at the next level, but he could be a you know a role player or a guy that that works in that way for sure. I mean that's that's how I see. It. How do you see it? Yeah, I think I think Bond will have a chance to be a middle to higher round pick, like a fourth through sixth, and I could see Chris Chris Orr being drafted late or sticking as a free agent. I think. Both those guys have the talent. I think Chris Orr is a little undersized for that position. Zach Bond might have to slide inside and play inside linebacker or outside in a four in a four three. But I think both of them have the talent, and I know that they'll both really have the drive and want it. So oh, yeah. I, it'll it'll be it'll be interesting to see because they you know obviously you got to hope that they stay healthy because they are playing so well and they're the key cogs for this Wisconsin defense. Yeah, that will be interesting. Let's see. Like you said, they, you know, you can kind of see the path for them. 
Um, but it, we'll have to wait and see if it, if it really translates. But they both have the work ethic and, and definitely the want to to be able to do it. So that's a that's an interesting question and uh, you know something I didn't really think we'd be talking about this this early into the season. But those guys have played so well that you you kind of have to you have to start looking at that as you as you get to the, you know rolling the season on and that you see how dominating they can be. Anything else on Kent State? I know obviously we we like to dive into a little bit more, but you know these non-conference games have been such you know in hand so quickly that there's not a lot to really dissect or dive into and we have a couple more questions um in the mailbag that we saved uh, for that but any any final thoughts on kent state um i I think it's going to be also interesting looking forward to see kind of what the badgers do with that backup quarterback position if if uh anything were to happen to uh, Jack for a play or two, you know, where he, you know, he goes down and rolls an ankle or something and has to be looked at quick on the sideline, which guys pops, which guy pops out there. Cause um, you know, Mertz had a couple throws there that were really impressive. Um, you know, but we've also seen Chase Wolf play so good uh, at times in practice as well. So, you know, those two are still kind of listed as co-backups and it'll be something to look to look forward at uh, as the season progresses. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, Mertz got in there towards the end, and he was efficient. Five for five, I believe, was what I – I didn't catch all of his throws, so we had to head out and, and tune out a little early to the game, But I didn't, so I didn't see all of it. But from what I see on the stats line, he was he looked pretty good, and, you know, he's, he's you can see the potential with him for sure. But obviously, you know, Jack's the guy, and we hope that he stays the guy. But, you know, that that is an interesting thing that, that could shake out down the road, and obviously we hope not, but you never know. It's It's football that way. Yeah, hopefully um, I, w- I would assume I, Cone is definitely the guy, and he has looked he's looked every bit of it. So hopefully he can stay healthy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and he'll get a I mean another big test for him this this weekend, and we'll talk about that a little bit on Thursday with with the front seven that he's going to be taking on uh, in Michigan State. I know they haven't haven't achieved what they've wanted to, but their defense is still still pretty stingy and and good. So they'll be they'll be an interesting test for Jack uh, in this you know obviously crucial Big Ten matchup. But that's kind of all we've got for Kent State, guys. Obviously, we you guys saw it on the field. It was a dominating effort, and the familiar faces did the heavy lifting. So we, you know, we've had this conversation before, so not a lot to dive into. And obviously, next week we'll have a little bit more recap because I assume that game will be a little closer. Although I thought that with Michigan, and it didn't happen, so we'll see. Um, but now we're going to kick it to a quick ad read, and then we're going to get to some mailbag questions, a little, uh, some more football-related questions, and then, of course, some fun stuff like we mentioned. Okay, let's get into the mailbag. So we, we tweeted out on Bucky's fifth quarter. This is the first time we've done this you know, with Matt and I, but obviously we're going to start kind of trying to work some of this stuff in because you guys have questions and we, we want to answer what you guys are thinking. And sometimes when there's a game like this where there's not a lot to talk about, you guys kind of spark us ideas. So feel free to reach out. And if there's anything you want us to talk about on the podcast, we're, we're both more than willing to do that. Uh, but I've seen this question kicked around Twitter a little bit the last few days uh, with, with Jonathan Taylor starting to get closer uh, to Melvin Gordon in the rushing yards, and I've said he's still a ways away from Ron Dane. But the question is being posed is outside of Ron Dane, who is the best player in Wisconsin history? So Matt, I'll give it to you. Who do you who do you have right now? So I'm gonna I'm gonna look at it in two different ways because I'm gonna do offense and defense because I think uh, there's there's obviously a lot of different players that could take that crown. You know I think. Troy Vincent back in the day really just took over games. You know, obviously he played on some pretty uh, rough Badger teams, but he was he was pretty much the team in a lot of ways. Um, but I would say on offense, Joe Thomas. He is 
he was an animal at Wisconsin, you know, came in, played very early and everybody knows what he went on and did on in the NFL. Uh, I'm absolutely um, a stud. But then on defense, you know, I think a lot of people would jump to J.J. Watt. But my favorite player growing up was Jamar Fletcher. The dude was a beast. You know, he was he was little kind of I'm only 5'10". He he was 5'10". So I really looked up to him with that. But he had 21 interceptions in his three years and was a first team All-American back to back years. Won Jim Thorpe Award. Uh, I mean, he was and then played in the NFL for like almost 10 seasons. I think it was eight seasons and was a first round pick. So I would say on offense, Joe Thomas, and then I would say Jamar Fletcher on defense. If I had to pick two guys that are kind of up there for me. Yeah. You know, I was, I was, this question kind of, you know, really makes me think because obviously there's so many guys that you could put and make arguments for. I thought Joe Thomas too, just because of the track record that he had both at Wisconsin and then his obviously hall of fame pro career, you know, he's going to be a first ballot guy into Canton. So it's hard to argue with that. Um, but obviously the other one that I had in mind w- was Melvin Gordon. The way he the way he played in, in his days where there was when he touched the ball, kind of like JT's first, you know, first year and a half where he touched the ball and it was you know, he was gone. There was times where you knew as soon as that gap opened up that he was gone and, and he was going to score. And obviously in his time, he had a stable of other backs along with him with ball and white where he didn't always get the bulk of the carries like JT does, but man, he was, he was something else. And you think about, obviously he's playing on Sundays and back with the chargers. Now he was, he was something special. So I was, I was going to mention both of those guys. And then, you know, a lot of people were kicking around Russell Wilson, which while you think about it and you think, Oh, he only played for a season. Is he really, um, you know, you know, that impactful on Wisconsin, but I'd, I'd have to say he, he still can be in that conversation simply because, of of what he did in that one season. I mean, he was incredibly efficient. He, he changed the quarterback position for Wisconsin a little bit, where every time he out, you know, he 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 made something magical happen. And I know they didn't have you know, the end of the season they wanted, but he was he was still pretty incredible. So I think it speaks volumes just to have him in the conversation despite one year. What did you think? Because I saw a lot of people kicking that one around as well. Yeah, I think I mean Melvin Gordon. If like within the last. 10 years, I would say it has to be Melvin Gordon in my eyes. I, I think compared to, you know, obviously he did it over a three-year span and Russell did it over a one-year span, but man, oh man, you're right. Like Melvin had a way where once he got the ball, he, he just exploded through the hole, you know, and, and Jonathan Taylor had one this past weekend where he got the ball and he hit the defensive line. And I looked to my wife and I said, he's gone. And she was like, what? And he was just, and then it was just full steam ahead. Nobody touched him. And it was, it was one of those things where you can just see it from those two guys that, you know, having seen Ron Dane when I was little, it, you know, it wasn't the same, obviously. Um, but yeah, I would say between Russell and, and uh, Melvin Gordon, I would definitely go with Melvin Gordon. I uh, haven't seen that 408 live was, was something oh, special. Yeah. That was, that was probably one of my favorite memories of Camp Randall was that with the snow coming down and him just running anywhere he wanted. That was probably, you know, when I think about that, that's just a, an awesome memory that, you know, that makes it worth being at those games for sure. Going off of that, you know, we're going to dive into back into this year's team, the tight end position. And I actually thought about this uh, when I was going to have it in one of our questions, you know, in the, in the recap. But somebody sent it in uh, on the Twitter on Twitter and you know asked about it and it was something that I thought about last week and this week. So the tight end positions kind of been left in the cold is how they worded it. And you know 
I was, they were asking what, what are the reasons for that? And I, I really have been trying to figure that out over the last couple of weeks as well. So Matt, is there anything in particular with the tight end position? Because it's usually such a staple in Wisconsin offense. Is there any person, certain reason why it hasn't been incorporated as much this year? I think, I think part of it was uh, Cephas being back and the depth at wide receiver, you know, like Ferguson's got a hundred yards receiving. I think it's 103. So he's actually out caught Danny Davis, uh, who a lot of people would, would think would be uh, higher on that list. But I think the biggest reason is going to be his health. You know, he broke that thumb early in fall camp has been, has still has a brace on that thumb. You know, I think that's what costed him cost him that fumble in the opener against South Florida. And I think that's still lingering for him and it, it might all year. And then the other thing for him was they've done a lot uh, in 11 personnel where you have the tailback and one tight end, which is something very different from uh, Wisconsin of old, where you usually have two tight ends on the, the field. So Ferguson's been called upon to, to block a lot more because of the lack of depth at tight end. So I think you pair the, the thumb injury with uh, his, uh, changing responsibility because of the way the offense has had to be structured due to a lack of depth at tight end are, are kind of leading to the results that we're seeing. But I think, you know, Ferguson is a very talented player that'll continue to to have his, his moments as the season goes on, I think. Uh, what is your take on it? Yeah, that was kind of my thinking too. I mean, you, you look at the tight end position in general, the Badgers don't have a lot of depth there to begin with, even if, you know, Ferguson was, was 100% and, you know, able to go and be, be full scale, the player that he is. But like you said, the thumb is there and he's not a hundred percent. So I think they're, they're still kind of cautious with him because they know what kind of player he can be when he is hundred percent. But if you lose Jake Ferguson, you're really, you're really in a tough spot with that tight end position. So I, I think, well, they obviously want to get him probably more involved as the season goes on. And I think they will, you know, in Big Ten play, you're going to get more, you know, you're going to get more smash mouth football under center where you'll rely maybe on a tight end more. Obviously, we've seen Jake Ferguson, the pass catcher, and he hasn't quite had that same role. And I think it's a mixed bags of things. So I don't think they're they're personally excluding the tight end position and trying to leave him out. You know, I think he'll he'll time or his time will come. But there's a lot of guys that this this, you know, Jack Cohn can throw to and this offense can use. I mean, like you said, he's, he's still got more yards than Danny Davis, and we haven't seen a ton of even like a Kendrick Pryor yet this season. But Paul Chris alluded, alluded to it today in the in the presser and said, you know, obviously his moment hasn't hasn't came yet, but he's he's confident that when it does, uh, he'll be ready for it and he'll take advantage of it. And it's kind of the same thing for Ferguson. So I think I think overall we'll see more of him, but it is something to definitely keep an eye on as the season goes along. Speaking of the season go along, the Badgers have a, you know, a tough stretch these next four games. Where where are you at right now, obviously, with the Michigan State and Ohio State coming up? Where do you see this team in the next four stretches of Big Ten play? What were you, what do you think the record's going to be uh, when, they, when they get out of this stretch? Uh, so the next four, so they got Michigan State. Obviously, this weekend, then they have at Illinois, at Ohio State, and home against Iowa. I think, you know, I think Illinois should be a game that they um, win. Uh, you know, it's it's an easy game to look ahead, potentially, at Ohio State the following week. So, it could be one of those trap sandwich games. But I think I like Wisconsin this weekend against Michigan State. And I think they'll take care of business at Illinois. I think Ohio State's going to be uh, a little too much for Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin will have a chance to to keep it close, make it interesting. 
But in the end, I do think Ohio State has uh, just a talent advantage at this point if they're playing the way they are. You know, um, if an injury were to happen to Ohio, to someone major like Dobbins or Fields at Ohio State or um, or Chase Young, then then it might be a different game for um, Wisconsin. But at this point, I would say Ohio State is, is going to be really tough. Um, and then Iowa is always tough. Uh, Wisconsin, you know, Iowa didn't look great against Michigan this p- past weekend. They looked really inept on offense, but Iowa's got a big matchup against Penn State that could, you know, bounce them back in a big way. So I like Wisconsin to likely win three of them. I'm going to go out and women say they win three of those. Uh, and the, but I do think that the Ohio State game. Uh, what do you what do you think? Yeah, I would agree with you. I, I think they win this weekend. I just don't think Michigan State has the offensive, you know, firepower to. To, to hold Wisconsin and obviously they're going to hold Wisconsin down at some point on offense but I don't know if they have the advantage to be able to score on that and we, we've just seen so many different versions of Michigan State so far this year um, and obviously at Illinois sometimes they can get a, it can get a little hairy there but I fully expect the Badgers to win that one without a problem uh, Ohio State I'm, I'm not going to go out on a limb and say I think the Badgers are going to win that game because I don't right now I don't see anyone beating Ohio State I don't think it's a knock on the Badgers I think it's more of what we've seen from the Buckeyes so far this season that they're a really good football team you know in my eyes they're probably the number two team in the nation and we've seen them climb up in the rankings and then Iowa it's such a they, they play that game so tight and they're so similar and you obviously Kirk Ferentz and Paul Chris they know each other. They know what each other's going to try and do, and we've seen that the last how many years, where it's just a tight game where where one break could could go either way. But obviously the game, you know, being at home gives the Badgers that advantage. So I I'm pretty optimistic about a about a three and one, and I would I would of course you know take that without hesitation. Obviously we want to beat Ohio State and we want to go into a, you know Buckeye Stadium and win. But if we were you know if we got out of this stretch at at uh, eight and one I'd, I'd be more than happy with with where they're at in the season and I would think yeah for you I would think most Matt Badger fans would agree with being at that point that at you know that record at that point in the season would be a huge win right oh I, w- I would think so especially um given the circumstances coming into the season of expectations I don't think most people would have had them at eight and one at this point um so you know and th- and those last three games are going to be difficult uh I, I I've I don't necessarily think Purdue's going to be tough, but I at, at Nebraska and at Minnesota are going to be contentious as well. So, you know, the Badgers have the meat of their schedule now here going forward, and this is the time when you're cutting your teeth and really seeing who the Badgers are. So it'll be interesting to see what they can bring to the table, and I think the Michigan State game's going to be a, a big test, and uh, it'll be a, a good moment for the Badgers to kind of show who they are and keep that momentum rolling. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. It'll be, I mean, it's Big Ten football. What what more could you ask for? They've got all the opportunities in front of them, and hopefully they, they can take advantage of as many of those as possible. And hopefully once we're, hopefully they can, uh, you know, get over to Indianapolis and maybe they get a rematch with Ohio State. You know, maybe Michigan pulls off an upset. Maybe Penn State pulls off an upset. It's still pretty early to know what's fully going to shake out, but we'll, we'll certainly take a three and watch stretch over those four games. Switching gears a little bit, we've talked, you know, obviously the, the, the ins and outs and some football stuff, but we're going to do some fun questions now. And uh, this one was asked, uh, what college stadium would, would you most like to visit for a game day, game day, you know, game day experience? I've, I've only been to 
to Ann Arbor and uh, South Bend. I went to the the Notre Dame Stanford game a few years ago when they had that goal line stand when Notre Dame was undefeated. So that was pretty cool. But I don't know if I love the atmosphere of of the Irish and and South Bend. But is there any certain place that, that you have kind of on your college football bucket list to to go and experience? You know, a tailgate and you know, and the game. I've been to a lot of the teams in the Big Ten. Uh, obviously, also, I've also went to out to the Rose Bowl. Um, but uh, the place I, if I had to pick a place, um, I would probably go to Death Valley uh, for LSU. I think you know it's a it's a different uh, way of being down down south for uh, college football. So that one's got a hundred and two thousand some people. I, I think that would be very cool. And I know that they also um, have it. It's it's huge. In addition to the fact that they also tailgate similarly to Wisconsin, uh, where it's, you know, people are out there early. So I think that would be one uh, that I would definitely want to uh, to take in. Uh, but I, I, I was I thought the Rose Bowl was just absolutely immaculate. I It's going to be tough to, to top that atmosphere for me. I thought that was it was just so beautiful with the. Uh, with everything going on around the stadium and uh, you know, the views. But I think, I think LSU would be probably the one just because of the the whole atmosphere down there. Uh, it, it's definitely not lacking. Yeah. That's, that's who I was going to say too. And I was actually the, around this time last year, I was actually, we were going to go down to this L, this weekend's game, LSU and uh, Florida, or excuse me, LSU Auburn. That was the game that we were going to go down for a few days and, hit New Orleans and do that. But we're decided we've, we're actually going to, we're hoping, you know, my brother and I are hoping to do that next year. Uh, when, you know, when they have Alabama in death Valley, we wanted to go to that game once in our lives. So we're, we're hoping to get down there. And, you know, that's, that's definitely what I was going to say too. The death Valley just seems like a, a whole different atmosphere and it's a whole different world down there and in Louisiana. So I would definitely like to get down there. And then obviously the other death Valley and Clemson looks like it could be a fun area. Um, but the other one I've, I've heard that's really fun is actually Ole Miss, Oxford, Mississippi, just more so for the game day experience and the pregame stuff. If you're looking just for a tailgate and a party, I, I would think that would be a good one, too. But, uh, I, I would definitely if I had one choice and I could go do one uh, experience, it would be it would be down in the bayou with with the LSU uh, and really whoever they're playing. I obviously anytime you can have a night game at Death Valley is huge, but I think. The uh, you know the Bayou Bengals can always get a party going no matter who they're playing and, and what the time. So I, I thought that's maybe where we'd both lean because it's just a uh, it's just such so different from from anywhere else out there. But the last question that we got posed to us on Twitter, um, is similar to what Mike Leach did in his press conference uh, earlier in the season, where someone asked, you know, a fight to the death between the Pac-12 mascots, who comes out on top? So we got that posed that question uh, to us. So Matt, big Big Ten battle, fight to the death. What mascot do you see coming out on top in this one? So this was actually brought to us by um, you know the um, Robert Stieg from from uh, Stampede SB Nation from uh, South Florida. So uh, big thanks to throw that out to us, um, keeping it light here. Um, but I would say it's actually the two mascots from this weekend. Uh, in my eyes, I think, you know, I think the turtle from Maryland is easily the first one killed. Uh, just like any good horror movie, there's always somebody who's killed first. I think it's definitely the Maryland uh, Terrapin. But then I think, 
uh, Sparty, you know, he's got the muscles. I, I wish he tied more to the school and made more sense for like the uh, demographics of the state and everything. Um, but then obviously Bucky, I'm going to go home hometown with that. I, I think it's a uh, brick, a cue ball or a cue stick and see who wins between the two of them. I'll, I'll say it's a toss up at this, this point. So I'll hedge a bit. Uh, who, who do you got? You know, I mean, you just you go down the list here and I mean, you look at some of I've, I've never really thought too in depthly about this. But you look you think about some of these mascots. I mean, a Buckeye, you know, you can throw that one out there. You know, that has no chance. A Hawkeye. I'm still not really sure what that is. So that's a no for me. A Cornhusker. Uh, n- no chance. Where, <laughs> with they they where have two, right? Like, don't <laughs> they have that like uh, goofy inflatable one? And then oh, yeah. it'll be the Husker or whatever. So it's like that's true. You can't win with two. Right, right. Yeah, you you can't worry about you know a corn husker. They're, they're not intimidating anyway. A wolverine, they may hold their own. I think that could be a scrappy battle with a badger. A gopher, sorry, gone. Fighting a lion eye, you know, like Mike Leach said, you know, does he have a spear? Are they, are they fighting? What do they got going there? That could be one that you could keep in mind. A wildcat, uh, Penn State. You got a Nittany lion. I don't think so. Purdue, sorry, Boilermaker. That's not gonna work. <laughs> Hoosier, no. Scarlet Knight, maybe. I don't know if we we necessarily fully claim Rutgers yet, but that could be one. But I would probably go with, you know, a, a Nittany Lion or a Badger or or probably Sparty too. I was thinking that that's just they've they've got that armor and they've got that uh, you know that's just it's a it's a warrior. So you kind of have to you got to go that way and. I think the Pac-12 overall had had a few more teams that would at least be in the fight. There, the, when you look at the Big Ten mascots, there's not a lot, not a lot to go off of. Yeah, no, not at all. I, I mean, if I'm in Colorado, they have a buffalo. It's literally going to run you over. Right. So I would, right. and it, and it gets super pissed. So I'm going to go with the buffalo every time. Um, so uh, that would be my vote if we went nationwide. Who you got nationwide? Ooh, that's tough. I mean, you could have, you could have a tiger too. You know, with Clemson or LSU, I'm trying to think of other ones. A Gator's not gonna, not gonna win. I'd probably go with the Tiger, but I could definitely see a few different options. I'd have to look at every single team because if you thought maybe, uh, like the F, you know, the the group of five, maybe you got like a San Diego State and Aztec Warrior, they could be pretty lethal that way. But <laughs> obviously, a fun conversation, and maybe we should, maybe we should do a bracket come March time of, of a mascot battle. You know. Battle Royale, Fortnite style. <laughs> yeah, to for round sure. Out the football season, but uh, what what about Big Red uh, from Western Kentucky? He's got that hump move, you know, kind of work. like a, like like Reggie White used to have. Just do his hump move and just beat people with that. Just knock people back. He'd be like a good if you could have like a, a tag team match where one just battles and then Big Red as you know protect that <laughs> man this has gone off the rails <laughs> this has gone off the rails for over sure. and out <laughs> um but you know that's that's kind of all we have for the mailbag and i'm saying we we threw it out there kind of late because we were trying to figure out some topics so if we ever do that uh you know again down the road we'll make sure to get it out earlier so more people can get questions in and stuff like that but thank you to everyone uh who who submitted a question I, we didn't i didn't write your twitter handles down to to shout you out, uh, but uh, I, we do appreciate it, and you know, thank you if you sent it in. Uh, we we do really do appreciate it because obviously it makes our job a little easier. And then we got some you know lighthearted questions to to give you guys some new stuff. Uh, but overall, that's that's all I've got on the list. Matt, anything else you you want to touch on before we uh, wrap up here? Uh, no, just uh, keep an eye out for uh, the pod. Make sure you subscribe. Uh, give us a rating. 
Um, you know, we're all over the spot in terms of TuneIn, Spotify, uh, iTunes. Um, so give us a listen. Tell your friends. Um, and, and also uh, go ahead and keep following what we're doing on Twitter and at uh, Boo5Q right now, um, you know, and uh, on the site. And uh, keep us going. Appreciate yeah. it, guys. Yep, we appreciate it a lot. All right, that's all we've got. We will uh, talk to you guys on Thursday. We're hoping to have uh, someone from Michigan State on uh, to, to, to join us in the end of the interview or the end of the episode like we've had the uh, past few weeks. So stay tuned for that. And other than that, on Wisconsin. Thank you.